Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Glad you're here this morning. If you remember, we are in our series in the book of 2 Corinthians. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. We'll be in chapter 2 uh, and part of chapter 3 this morning. Um, and our series is called The God of All Comfort. And the reason for that is because that's what Paul said he wrote the book for. Right at the beginning of 2 Corinthians, Paul said, hey, look, I'm praising our Lord and Father and um, or our God of God and Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And so he's writing this letter to the Corinthian church. He's written other letters to the church that were very harsh and scathing. And we have one of those letters in 1 Corinthians. And um, those letters were difficult. And Paul said, hey, I, it grieved me to have to discipline you and write what I wrote and kind of be mean. But I'm grateful because now I see that you've changed You've decided to follow Christ. You've decided to be the church that God's called you to be. And that gives me incredible comfort. And it gives God incredible comfort. And you should feel incredible comfort from the fact that you're believing in God and not all the lies and the things of the world. And so that's really kind of the crux of what he's writing in 2 Corinthians. And um, remember who Paul is. He's an apostle who was forgiven of a lot. We looked at forgiveness last week. Paul was a murderer. He murdered Christians as an occupation, literally. And then the Lord appeared to him, caused him to be blind, and he repented. He came to know Jesus, found the comfort of the gospel, and his life was transformed forever. And then he was made an apostle by the other apostles in Jerusalem and sent out all over the world, specifically the Greek world, not the Jewish world, to make known that Jesus was the God of the universe who came in human flesh paid the penalty for sin on a cross and came back to life to prove that no one else can conquer death but him. And so that's who Paul is. And so when he writes last week, he's talking about forgiveness and he's talking about um, the importance of how we forgive and the fact that he had written these hard things to this church and it was going to be hard to forgive one another because of the sins in the church and the mess that was created in the church. And you got to learn how to forgive properly because forgiving is not enabling Forgiving is not just letting things go. Forgiving is recognizing sin and recognizing your need for a payment. We looked at that last week. This week, what I want us to look at is aroma. Aroma. That's what these little vials are. These are little empty aroma vials. And you could put perfume in here. You could put some mouthwash. Some of you might need that. No, you could put some mouthwash in there. Uh, you can put some perfume. I, I don't know. You, these are for you to take home. You can, you know, put whatever you want in this little vial. Here's the question. though: What do you smell like? <clears throat> if you don't know, I would encourage you to ask someone close to you. They'll help. Right? They'll, they'll be more than kind to help you know what you smell like. And, uh, and, and the Bible tells us that God loves smells. See, God gave us our senses. He gave us sight, smell, taste, hearing, touch. He gave us all of our senses because he wanted us to feel what he feels. He wanted us to not be separate from him, but to be included in his presence and to feel and see and experience who he is. Now, he doesn't want us to live by our feelings and by our senses, but he does want us to give those senses over to him so that we can smell like we're supposed to and smell the things we're supposed to, and taste the things we're supposed to, and not the things we're not supposed to. And so God gave us our senses, but unfortunately, we use those senses wrongly. We, we touch what we want to touch. We taste what we want to taste. We, we do what we want to do, not see what God wants us to do. And then we find ourselves in very uncomfortable situations, and God says, well, I would love to comfort you. I would love to give you the comfort of a home with me. You see, there's nothing more comfortable in the Shockney house than to walk in and know as you walk in and smell the smell of chocolate chip cookies being baked. And those of you who've had the Shockney's chocolate chip cookies, you know they're pretty good. And when you walk in, if I come home from work or whatever, and you walk in the house and you got that smell, you're like, yes, this is a good day. How many am I going to eat? Like, that's the first, you know, like, and, and I mean, there's other smells too. If, if I come home and 
I'm hungry and my neighbors are grilling out and you get that waft of the grill to come over and you're like, oh, how well do I know them? You know, like, I mean, you, you, like, you know, the, like aromas are powerful things and, and, and smells that you smell. If you walk into a room years later, like for example, I can walk into, if I smell like nachos or like, um, like that nacho nasty smell, you know what I mean? The smells like feet in a locker room, you know what I'm saying? Like, and you walk into a locker room, you're like, yeah, you know, and sometimes I can't eat nachos because I get that smell and I'm like, oh, this is feet. This smells like my locker room growing up. This smells exactly like the basketball locker room in high school. And it's just like, Ugh, you know, because God gave these things as powerful tools. You ready for this? To draw us to himself and draw us to his comfort. And they're very powerful tools that we have an enemy that will use them to draw us away from God, to draw us to things that God doesn't want us to participate in. And Paul is writing, and we're going to pick this up in the second in 2 Corinthians, he's writing to talk about this aroma, because it's a powerful thing. In 1 Corinthians 1.1, Paul, we begin the book, and it says, Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ by God's will. In other words, Paul's saying, look, I didn't, I didn't ask to do this. God called me into this. Like, I was, I was on my way to kill Christians. Jesus showed up, and it transformed my life. And then he said, and Timothy, our brother. The fact that Timothy was raised in a Christian home. He couldn't get out of the fact that his mom, Lois, and, or his grandmother, Lois, no, grandmother Eunice, his, his mother, Lois, raised him in the faith, and like, kept on him about church and the, the scriptures growing up. Paul even says, your mom and your grandma did a great job of teaching you the scriptures. We don't know anything about Timothy's dad. Not much. We know that he was Greek. Other than that, we don't see him have any kind of spiritual influence in his life. And yet Timothy gives his life to follow Paul and gives his life for the gospel because of two faithful women who said, you know what? We could make you to be the young man we want you to be, but we want you to be the young man God wants you to be. And, we're gonna, and instead of keeping you as our little boy, we're sending you out to go with Paul. And so it's a beautiful picture. And then he says, to God's church at Corinth and with all the saints who are throughout Acacia. Paul is saying, look, this letter isn't just written for the church in Corinth. It's for all the churches, which is why we're reading it today. And it's scripture. It's for us to read. And then he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul almost always starts his letters this way because he knows I'm going to say some hard things. And I don't want you to misinterpret this. The reason I'm saying these things is because I want you to understand the incredible peace and grace. Grace is unmerited favor that you don't deserve that God offers. And so he always starts his letter that way because he wants them to know, my heart in this is not you better behave. My heart in this is not that. My heart is grace and peace. And if you don't behave, you won't experience the grace and peace of God. And then he says, praise to God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. I love that Paul says, look, this isn't just about us having a relationship with God. This is about us going out and spreading the aroma of who Christ is anywhere we go. And I don't know about you, but for me, when I come into church, one of my biggest questions I used to always ask as a little kid is, is there going to be an older woman sitting around me that I'm going to start sneezing because I'm allergic to that powder stuff? And it just tears me up. And, and, and so I'll come into a church and I'll be like, but you know what else reminds me of? Whenever I walk into a church and I smell that aroma, I think of, but these are faithful people who have given their lives. And they've gotten older and they can't smell anymore because you lose your sense of smell as you get older. Did you know that? That's why you put it on thicker than you used to because you're trying to smell it. And you're like, I can't smell this. And you keep spraying it. And then you walk into a room and it's like, whoo. Because the young people haven't lost their sense of smell. <laughs> they smell you coming, right? And so God's, again, Paul says, I'm writing this to you because I want you not only to be comforted, but I want you to see it as your job to comfort the world who doesn't know Christ and to comfort one another. Let me pray for us really quickly. Father, thank you this morning for your word. As we dive into this second chapter of 2 Corinthians, Lord, I pray that you show us who you are. I pray that we would take a moment to breathe in and take in the aroma of your word, the beauty and glory of who you are. 
that we would smell and taste of you this morning. Lord, we thank you for this church. We thank you for what you've done in it through the years and continue to do. We're not large, we're not huge, but you continue to send faithful people out. You continue to help us raise up faithful people that are serving you for a lifetime. And we give you praise and glory in your name. Amen. So as we dive in, I want to read for you 2 Corinthians really quickly. So we're going to read it and then I'll come back and break it down. But I want to read through the passage that we're going to look at this morning. In 2 Corinthians, we're going to pick it up in verse 12. I'm sorry, we're going to pick, yeah, pick it up in uh, verse 12 of 2 Corinthians 2. It says, when I came to Troas for the, for the gospel of, of Christ, a door was opened to me by the Lord. I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find my brother Titus, but I said goodbye to them and left for Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always puts us on display in Christ and spreads through us in every place the scent of knowing him. For to God, we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To some, we are a scent of death leading to death, but to others, a scent of life leading to life. And who is competent for this, for we are not like the many who make a trade in God's message for profit, but as those with sincerity, we speak Christ as from God and before God. We are, be- are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or like some, do we need letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, recognized and read by everyone since it's plain that you are Christ's letter produced by us, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on stone tablets, but on tablets that are hearts of flesh. We have this kind of confidence towards God through Christ. Not that we are competent in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our competence is from God. He has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit produces life. So we pick up 2 Corinthians in verse 12, and he says, When I came to Troas... To preach the gospel of Christ, the Lord opened a door for me. So so Paul's saying, look, he left the Corinthian church. He's going out. He's planting churches. He said, I I was going to start a church or to visit the church, whatever it is, in Troas and, and to preach the gospel. What's the gospel? The gospel is the news that God came from heaven to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, that the whole Old Testament was about God sending a Messiah, right? And that the law was showing us that we can't measure up and we need to cry out to God to save us. That's the whole Old Testament. The gospel is Jesus came to say, I'm the one you've been crying out to all the way through the Old Testament for salvation. So the people in the Old Testament believed by faith in a Messiah that would save them. That's how they were saved. They were not saved by following the law. They were saved by recognizing that the law was killing them. They couldn't measure up and they cried out to God to save them. So they were trusting in a future Messiah. We, and Paul is writing to the church and saying, look, you are trusting in a Messiah that has already come in the earth. He has died. He has paid the price. He rose from the dead. He proved himself. And so he's saying, look, we're looking back to that Messiah who came. That's the gospel. And then everybody together from Adam all the way until the end of time, we are, we are all looking for the day when the Messiah will come again. That's the gospel message. That's what Christ means. The the gospel of the Messiah. That's what Christ means is Messiah. And it says, the Lord opened a door for me. Now, I want to talk about something real quick. There's kind of a mentality in our culture of determining God's will called open door, closed door. Sometimes God opens doors. There's no question about that, okay? That sometimes God opens a door for us. And, it, and, and we walk through it. But open doors are like open sewers as well, okay? Open sewers will take anything in when the rain comes and they'll get clogged and back up everything. So just because something circumstantially, our sight, our smell, our taste, our hand, seems like the right thing, it may not be the right thing. But most people, this is how they deal in their will with God. They say, well, I'm just, if all the circumstances line up and everything looks open to me, then I must be, I must need to go that way. Well, maybe, but have you sought counsel? Have you looked at God's word? Have you thought through why? Is it in line with his will? Because let me tell you, we have an enemy that can open doors. 
Lots of doors for you. Lots of relationships. Oh, this must be the right relationship. I mean, it's just open. He came to me. She came to me. This was so beautiful. And it's a disaster. Some of you may have been in relationships like that. It just seemed like God was just making it all work. And then you're like, oh my gosh. Right? Even Jesus says this in Revelation. He says, as many as I love, Jesus says, I rebuke and discipline. So be committed to me and repent. That's why Paul wrote his other letters to the Corinthian church. And then he says, listen, I stand at the door and knock. He's the God of the universe. You don't think he can open the door? You don't think Jesus can open a door? I mean, he's like, is any door he's not able to open? No, he's saying, look, I'm standing at the door to your will. I am knocking. I am a polite gentleman. I'm knocking. I'm not throwing open doors for you. I'm asking, do you really want me? Do you really want a relationship with me? Do you really want to follow me? I'm not trying to hide from you. But we need to talk about the barriers that we have and what we need to do with them. And then he says, anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and have dinner with him and he with me. So Jesus is saying, I'm not looking for open doors. Jesus is like, I'm looking for closed doors and I'm going to knock on them. (laughs) Now, sometimes does God lines things up circumstantially? Absolutely. But don't just go by your smell. Don't just go by your emotions and feelings. Dig a little deeper and make sure, like Jesus says, that, you know, sometimes the people that really love me make it hard for me so that I can become the person that I should be instead of the person I want to be. Welcome to sports. There's not a coach in the world that isn't hard, right? Of a successful team that isn't hard on his players. Lovingly. Because he wants you to be better. He wants you to grow. He wants you to stretch further, right? And that's exactly what Christ is saying. He's like, be careful of how you interpret. Look at this. Paul goes on to say, look, I went to Tros. It was obvious that's what God wanted me to do. He opened a door. And then he says, but I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find my brother Titus. But I said goodbye to them and left for Macedonia. Sometimes the doors open and you go through it and you don't have good feelings afterwards. Like it was God's will you went through. It was God. But Paul says, it was an obvious open door. People came to Christ when I went to Troas. The ministry grew, but inside of me, I was miserable. And maybe you've been there before, that it's God's will that you go to church. It's God's will that you grow in your faith. You read your Bible, but sometimes it just feels empty. Other people are learning. You're seeing God work in other people's lives, maybe even through you, but inside you feel dead. Is this real? Is my faith even real? But you continue to be faithful like Paul did. And you're just like, but I can't find this peace because there's this issue I was hoping God would help me with that he hasn't. I was looking for Titus because Paul needed some encouragement at this time because he'd written some really hard things to the church in Corinth. He was afraid the church in Corinth was going to fall apart and be gone. He was watching people turn away from God. He was watching people turn away from him and turn their back on him. And Paul goes and there's all this great ministry going on and people are coming to the gospel. But in the back of Paul's mind, he's asking, Asking, yeah, but they're just going to be miserable like me probably soon. And you feel that deepness. And Paul said, look, I had no rest because I just needed some encouragement. I just needed someone to come alongside me and say, you got this. God has you. He's the God of all comfort. Paul says, I was looking for comfort from Titus And I didn't get it. And I stayed faithful to the course. I stayed faithful to do what God had called me to do. But man, was I struggling. If you've never been there, I promise you will be. At some point in your life. We all do. And it may be a long time. And then Paul says, it got so bad for me, he said, I just needed to take some time to get away. You know, Jesus would often get away to go pray. And the disciples, like, like, lost him. They'd have to, like, go find him. Like, he'd disappear in the middle. He'd wait till they all went to sleep. He'd, like, check him and be like, and sneak out. I think it's the best story, like, when you read the Bible and Jesus is sneaking out on the disciples all the time. They all wake up, you were on watch. Where, you were supposed to watch where he went. No, you were. Well, you fell asleep. Like, it's so beautiful. 
And Jesus is just trying to get away so that he can spend time with the God of comfort because he's been poured out so much just doing life that he's got to get away. And Paul left for Macedonia. And on that journey, he would have had a lot of time on his hands before he got there. And so you might be there in your life. You might have walked through a door that you thought was open that you shouldn't have walked through and you need to repent. You might have walked through a door and it doesn't feel peaceful and it's hard. Listen, God's will, we'll see in a minute, is for you to trust him, not trust the circumstances. Second Corinthians goes on and this, look at what Paul says. He says, so yeah, I, I went to Troas. Ministry was great. Mega church, big things happening. Woo but I'm miserable And he's talking about all this tension. And then he says, but thanks be to God. See, Paul doesn't say thanks be to all our effort. Thanks be to to Titus. Thanks be to Macedonia, where I got away from. Thanks be to this and that and this and that. No, no, he goes, thanks be to the God of all comfort. Look at what he says. Who always puts us on display in Christ and through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. You stink. You stink. I stink. We all have a smell. It's going to follow you. The question is, what do you smell like? When you're around people, do they smell the gospel? Do they, do they smell Christ? Do they, do they experience Christ? Or do they experience Matt? Or Luke? Do they experience Annie? Do they experience Dust? Who do they experience? Not that you have to become a different person, but do they recognize that you, there's something about you that's different and does your mouth, we'll see in a minute, match that difference? Because Paul says, you know, even though I'm dealing with all these emotions, even though there seems like there's great things happening and I don't care, even though it's hard for me and even though I travel to Macedonia, he goes, in the end, I am just thankful that I can breathe in the beauty of my Savior. Because none of this really matters in the end. It's about a relationship with him. And he wants me to be so locked in with him. He wants me to be so close to him that when I go to other people's houses, they smell me. You ever had that? That everybody in your family has a certain smell and you go to another house and people like, they know your smell. If you burn a wood stove in your home, everyone will know you burn with wood when you go to another home. We did that for a long time. We burned with wood. And, and you would have, and it's a great smell. I love to walk into and just smell that smell of, uh, but man, it gets in everything. It's in your couches. It's in your clothes. I mean, it's in your hair, especially women. You know you have long hair. I go teach at Saul to Paul Ministries here locally, which is a men's discipleship ministry, and they heat with a wood boiler, Okay. And whenever I go there, I always come home and I, I kind of get used to it while I'm there teaching. But then I come home and I take my clothes off. And if I'm doing something like I change clothes real quick to do something so I don't mess up my good clothes, which I'm not very good at doing, but I try to do that. And so I put on my good clothes again. When I put them back on, I'm like, oh, I smell salt of Paul. There it is. I smell that, that wood smoke, right? And it causes me to be thankful for them. It's like, oh, I love that place. They change men's lives. And that's exactly what God wants you to do in Christ. And you know, sometimes as Christians, we stink. We're terrible Christians. We go to work, we're not good. But you know what's beautiful? Is we can put on Christ, which which is putting on repentance, and we can ask people's forgiveness. Like we talked about last week, which then puts the aroma in the room of, well, that's different. You're not trying to justify yourself. You're not trying to get yourself happy. You're not trying... You're actually dealing with you and dealing with the reality in front of us, and that's really uncomfortable for us. And you're like, yeah, because I'm trying to put Christ on display. I'm not trying to save myself. I'm trying to remember that I have a Savior. And that's what Paul says right here. He's like, it's our job to just spread this aroma. That when we walk into a room, it's like a... How many of you have ever gone to a class? Okay. And within the first class, you're wondering to yourself... This professor smells like a Christian. There's some, he says things, there's a, looking at syllabus, and that's a different word. He used the word blessed right there. What is this? Smell that. That's just, that smells like something I'm used to. Right? And how many of you have walked into a class and you've opened the syllabus and within 10 minutes of listening to the professor, you're like, there is death here. 
drop the class and run, right? I mean, you'd like to say, like, you, you know it. God says that's exactly how he wants us as believers. Paul says, that was my hope for you as the church in Corinth. He says, I wrote you two letters because you guys stink so bad. You smelled so horrible to the world because your church was such a disaster. And I wrote to you and said, you need to put on deodorant. You need to shower. You need to scrub. You, need, you got big issues and you guys did it. You actually like, yeah, we stink. You didn't justify yourselves. You took care of it. You got the stench out. Praise God, is what Paul's saying. He goes on and says, and here's what you got to understand about the Bible. Most of you don't know this, but this idea of a pleasing aroma is all over the Bible. Look at this. 716 times it talks about a burnt offering or an offering and an aroma. 302 times it talks about a sacrifice that would be offered and the smell and the smoke. Uh, 44 times it talks about fragrant or fragrance. 52 times the word aroma. Incense is mentioned 127 times in the Bible. That's a lot of smell. That is a lot of smell. Like God is literally like, I want to involve you in the family. I want you to smell, I want you to, I want you to take it all in because I'm the God of comfort. And when you read my word, I want you to, oh, be comfortable. Like it brings you comfort, not, oh, I'm in trouble. Oh, I don't know what I'm in. That's not comfort. That's fear. And yes, we're to fear God, but that's to be in awe of him. Not, I'm scared of him. So God, this is important to God. Look at what he says in Exodus 30, 34. It says, the Lord said to Moses, take the fragrant spices, the stacked, the onchka, and I can't read this because I don't have my glasses on. Hang on. I'll look up. And the galbanum and the spices and pure frankincense are to be in equal measures. Prepare expertly blended incense from these. It is to be seasoned with salt, pure and holy. Grind some of it into a fine powder and put some in front of the testimony in the tent of meeting. That's the worship place. And then he says, where I will meet with you. I want it to smell good when I come over. That's literally what Jesus is like. I got, it's, you guys stink. I, need it. I don't want to smell your stink. Just put some incense on. Like put a candle on. And then he goes on. He says, look, as for the incense you're making, you must not make it. You must not make any for yourselves using its formula. It is to be regarded by you as sacred to the Lord. And anyone who makes something like it to smell its fragrance must be cut off from his people. This is a specific smell that I want you to have so that anytime you smell it, you are reminded of two things. My presence connected to the presence of my gathered people. This is not just a relationship between me and you. This is a relationship with me and us. And you are not to make this to have a little worship ceremony with you and Jesus. No. There's other smells you can use for that. There's other things you can do. But this is specifically to remind you of home it's to remind you of home don't don't use it any other way I want you to walk in and be like I'm home like that's what he says it's a matter of fact two of of the sons of the high priest got killed because they didn't make this offering right and God struck them dead for it Phineas and Hophni, two of the sons of Eli, struck dead because they didn't do this right. God killed them. He's like, you're messing around with, I want my people to experience, and you're trying to make it however you want and be careless with it. It's a specific recipe. That's the thing about chocolate chip cookies. See, because we have awesome chocolate chip cookies in my home, I am kind of judgmental about chocolate chip cookies, I'll just be honest. It's a struggle for me. If I get a chocolate chip cookie, and it's like, I got a comparison. It's like, mm. I mean, I'm going to eat it because it's a cookie, right? Like, I'm not going to turn down a cookie. But I'm like, oh, is this, uh, I, I love the home cookie, right? And if we give that recipe out, right, we've given that recipe to people, there's a part of me that's like, I hope they don't mess that up. Because there are some good cookies, and our names are on that thing. You know what I mean? God's no different. And so he was serious about this. He goes on to say this. In Hebrews it says, 
But in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. In other words, God's saying all those smells, the incense, the offerings, the sacrifices remind you of sin because they're all things that cover up the stench. They're all things that cover the sin. He goes, all of those things in the Old Testament were to remind you how desperate you were to be cleaned up, how desperate you were to be forgiven, that you just, if you don't shower again, you're going to stink. Like you can't just like you keep covering it up. Eventually you've got to get cleaned off. And everything in the Old Testament was, was to make them remember they need a God that will clean them off. They can't do it themselves. And these are all temporary coverings. I'm going to put this deodorant on, but it is not going to last. It's just temporary. That's exactly what it's laid out as. And then he says, therefore, as he was coming into the world, Jesus, he said, you did not want sacrifice and offerings, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, see, it is written about me in the volume of the scroll. I have come to do your will, God. In other words, God doesn't want all the sacrifices and all that. He doesn't want us to try to cover up the smell. He wants us to deal with the stink. That's what he says. And Jesus came into the world to do what? Deal with the stink once and for all, to pay for it. To say the stench of sin, the stench of trespass, the stench of people and you and I not doing God's will, he is going to forgive and take care of and then he's going to give us the Holy Spirit to know how to clean ourselves up and what we should smell like. It's a beautiful picture that God gives throughout the Bible. Look at what Isaiah says in the first chapter of his book. He says, what are all your sacrifices to me, asked the Lord, I've had enough of burnt offerings and rams and the wealth and the fat of well-fed cattle. I have no desire for the blood of bulls, lambs, or male goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires this from you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing useless offerings. In other words, he wants offerings done in his will, not offerings that are like trying to cover up and make like a deal with God. He's like, that, we don't make deals. And then he says, look at this. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons and Sabbaths and the calling of solemn assemblies. I cannot stand iniquity with a festival. Quit covering up the stench. Wash yourself. You keep trying to cover up all the mess with, with doing something big, something new, something fresh. Just deal with you and deal with the reality, he says. And then he goes on and says, I hate your new moons and your prescribed festivals. They become a burden to me. I'm tired of putting up with them. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I'll refuse to even look at you. Even if you offer countless prayers, I will not listen because your hands are covered with blood. You're like, oh, we love you, God. And he's looking down going, no, you're a mess. And you're trying to make up for it by doing big things and Show off. He's like, no. Look at what he goes on to say this. Isaiah says in the next um, part, wash yourselves. Cleanse yourselves. Remove your evil deeds from my stop. Stop doing evil. Learn to do what's good. Seek justice. Correct the oppressor. Defend the rights of the fatherless. Plead the widow's case. He gives a list. He's like, if you really, instead of doing all this and having the big show and instead of doing all this stuff, he's like, how about you just do some really simple things? Take a bath. You don't need to put on more. Just take a bath. You got so many fragrances and lotions and everything. Just take a bath. Cleanse yourselves. Like, remove the evil. Why? Don't keep the evil. Say, we're not, I'm just not going to do this anymore. And then he says, come, let us discuss this. Look at that. God's like, come, I want to talk about this with you. I'm not looking down at you like this. I want to invite you in so I can help you wash, cleanse, learn to do good, seek justice. Let's have a discussion. Let's talk about what God wants you to do. And then he says, though your sins are like scarlet, in other words, they are bloody mess, he says, they will be white as snow. They will be cleansed. Though they are red as crimson, they will be like wool. God's like, I am telling you, if you come to me, if, you, if you'll just come to me, I will walk you through the process of you getting clean, he says. It goes on in Revelation, it says, then one of the elders said to me, stop crying and look, this is when the Lamb of God is brought. He says, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has been victorious so that he may open the scroll and its seven seals. Remember, Jesus stands at the door and knocks, this time he's opening it. 
And then he says, Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders. And look at this. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the elders fell down before the lamb. That's a great posture. It's not like this. It's like, I am, I'm nothing. I need you to save me. And then he says, Each one had a harp. And gold bowls. It, harp could be a guitar. So like everybody's a guitar player in heaven. No, I'm just kidding. But it could be. Each one had a harp and gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. God says the reason he loves the incense and the smell, which is something that you can smell but not necessarily see. You don't really know it's there until you know it's there. He goes, that's what your prayers are and our prayers are to him. That the prayers are the so you can work your tail off. You can make sacrifices to God. You can do all this stuff and God's like, I just want to talk with you. Come, let us discuss. I just want to know you. I want you to discuss with one another. I want to know together. That's, that's what I want. That's what I long for. That's when we get to heaven and the seals are opened and everything's going on. What they're coming out to present is a song. They're singing praises and prayers to God. And they got huge bowls of our prayers presenting them. Look at all these prayers that are going to be answered now. We've been waiting for all these prayers to be answered. Here they are. Thousands of years of prayers. We've got bowls and bowls of it. And they're bringing it out. I mean, that's the, that is the fragrance. So our prayers are now the fragrant aroma that's being offered up. It's why the people that pray and that are prayer warriors, I am just so amazed by and so thankful for. Because you don't even know they're doing it. They're behind the scenes. You, there's no show. They're not offering and you go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't even know to thank them half the time. They are just faithful to know the God of comfort and to go to him so that we in this room might have comfort. Whew. Those are some faithful people, God says. And that is his incense in heaven. It's our prayers. So instead of lighting a candle for God, pray. Just pray. And you know what? Pray his word. Because his word's also in heaven. It's written on a scroll. <laughs> like, wow, that prayer matches that. That's incredible. Woohoo! Like, pray the word of the Lord back to him. Ephesians 5 says, Therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Let's imitate what heaven's going to be like. And then he says, And walk in love as the Messiah also loved us and gave himself a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Do you see that? Jesus gave his life as the fragrant sacrificial offering. He didn't give money. He didn't give, he just said, my life is yours and my life is for all of you. I'm not living for me right now, Jesus says. I'm living so that you can be saved. And if we know that we have a home in heaven and that the fragrance of heaven is gonna come down on us and we know we're offering up prayers, man, we should take confidence in that. And then he, look at what he says. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for the saints. You shouldn't get a whiff of this anywhere. Coarse and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. Giving thanks always for everything to the God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's like, your words, like, your actions. It's not about don't do it. It's about do giving thanks. You know, when you're giving thanks to God for another human being and for how God's created them and how he's made them and how he is using them in the body of Christ, it's really difficult for you to use them sexually. Really difficult. It's really difficult for you to be like, woo, she's hot. Probably not going to happen if you're like, God, thank you for creating that woman. Thank you for her life. I pray that she walks with you. I pray that she would know you. If you're doing that, you're probably not going to go down the road of sexual immorality. If you're giving thanks to God for how he's created you and the relationship that he wants, when one of those women come at you, you're going to be like, no, thank you. I'm giving thanks to God right now. I don't need anybody else in my life. 
unless they're going to help me give thanks to God. <laughs> like that's the beauty of Paul saying, we've got to learn this. And it's hard. It's hard to give thanks. It was hard for Paul to give thanks in the midst. And that's why he says, but thanks be to God. Even though I went to Troas, big ministry, even though it was a disaster, thanks be to God. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, give thanks in everything for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Colossians, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Which, when was the last time you just gave thanks to God that you could go to class and learn something? When was the last time you walked in and said, man, I get to learn something today. This is awesome. Praise the Lord. Versus, uh, I'm going to go to class. I just, couldn't they put this online? I could watch it later. They're going to give thanks, God says. And I listen, I'm terrible at this too. I'm, I'm a fellow sufferer with you in giving thanks. And then it says, consider it great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and endurance must, be, uh, must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. He says, if you want to be mature and complete, lacking nothing, learn to do this. Learn to pray. Learn to give thanks. Learn to give God glory instead of looking at all the mess. Here's a recipe, okay, for you, because we're talking about recipes and the chocolate chip cookies. Here's a little recipe for you for how to have the incense of prayer. I stole this from Desiring God. You can see where I stole this from, so this was not an original idea. It says, Thanksgiving, 1 Timothy 2, 1. Forgiveness. So, talking about forgiveness to God, thanking Him for forgiveness that you have, asking Him who you need to forgive. Intercession, praying for yourself, praying for others. Praise and adoration, just telling God how great He is. Utter dependence, where you're like, God, I am dependent on you. Seeking wisdom. Petitions and supplications. That's where you're petitioning something over and over again to God and saying, I don't have to have it now, but I'm going to trust you that someday you're going to come through because your word says it. And then it's a seeking peace in relationships, seeking peace in the world and salvation. These are the kinds of things that are fragrant prayers of aroma to God. That, that we can be like spraying this stuff everywhere. Like, oh, I'm going to spray a little thanksgiving. I'm going to spray a little forgiveness on you, Ben. You hurt me. I love you. Like spray a little forgiveness on you. Spray it on me so I don't stink so bad because I don't want to forgive you, but I'm going to forgive you anyway. Like that, that's who we're supposed to be. He goes on in 2 Corinthians, he says, for to God, you ready for this? To God, we are the fragrance of Christ. Remember, Christ was the fragrance for us, his sacrifice, his death. Now you are the fragrance of, Christ, of, of, of him to those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. The only reason you are in the world is because God's burning you up. He is using you up. And someday there's going to be nothing left to burn. You're done. And it's time to go home. You're done cooking. Cookies are done. Pull them out of the oven. All done. Right? I mean, it's, they're finished. And he says, to some we are an aroma of death leading to death, but to others an aroma of life leading to life. Who is competent for this? Like, if you think you're competent to accomplish this yourself, you think you're competent to, I can make my smell smell good, I can, I can keep the stench off, I can reach all those lost people, I'll show them. I, if you think you're competent for this, you are not. You, you need God's miraculous Holy Spirit power help to do this, he says. Because you're not going to want to do it. It's gonna, it, is, it is a difficult task, but he says it's beautiful because as you do it, those who are looking for life, they smell it. And they're like, oh, oh. And, but those that are wanting to go death's route, they, they smell that too. Because some people, they like the smell of death. They do. It's what they're used to. They grew up smelling death. They grew up their whole life looking for death. They love death. And when they smell it, it reminds them of their power. It reminds them of where they used to come from. And he says, no, 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 no. I want you to be the aroma of life. And you're not confident to do it yourself. You need me to do it through you. Psalm 38 says, You indeed have made my days short in length and my lifespan as nothing in your sight. Yes, every mortal man, that's all of us in this room and in listening online, is only a vapor. Your life is a vapor in light of eternity. 
And you're either going to live for Christ and put off the aroma of him, or you're just going to be another stinky vapor in the world. One of the ways we teach this in our church is this. A farts for Jesus. We're called to be farts for Jesus. To some, it's the aroma of death. To some, it's the aroma of life. We're just vapors. Just it. That's it. You're gone. That's all you are. You think, what in the world? Well, that's an acrostic. And here's the acrostic for it. You need to be faithful. You need to be available. You need to be real. You need to be teachable. And you need to be surrendered. And when you are those things... It's the smell of life, not the smell of stench from what you ate for lunch, okay? It's the smell of life. When you are faithful, available, real, teachable, and surrendered, it shows that you're not being competent in yourself, you're being competent in Christ. And it's hard sometimes to be faithful. It's hard to schedule your schedule so that you are available to serve God when there's so much you want to do and get done. It is hard to be real because we want to cover up and not let people really know what's going on in our heart. That's what we want to do. And we don't want people to really know what we believe about Christianity because we're afraid what they'll do to us if they know. And we want to teach everybody else, but do we want to be teachable? And literally, you're a vapor. That's all you are. That's what the Bible says. The question is, are you going to be a fart for Jesus or not? It's your call. Okay. John goes on. The book of John says that there was a woman. There was actually four times in Scripture where women poured incense or oil on Jesus and smelled up the whole place. Four times in Scripture, we have a story of women just dumping smells on Jesus without his permission. I don't know about you, that'd be kind of offensive. If you came up to me and like these actually had something in them and you're like, hi, Matt, I'd be like, like Jesus was not offended. Look at what happens. Then Mary took a pound of fragrant oil, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair. Look at this. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him said, why wasn't this fragrant oil sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He didn't say that because he cared about the poor. In other words, it looked like he cared about the poor, right? We should be giving to the poor. Well, how much do you give to the poor, Judas? Well, I really don't, but I just thought we all should. Then he goes on, it says, and then it's because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, he was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what was put in it. He's like, that should have been sold so I can get a little bit in my pocket. Right? And he goes on and it says, Jesus answered, leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you. The stench of brokenness and poor and disaster is always in the world. But you are not always, you will not always have the beauty and the fragrance of me. Because I'm going to go to the Father. What an incredible story. 2 Corinthians goes on, it says, we are not like the many, Paul says, who market God's message for profit. We're not trying to get things to smell good. We're not marketing the gospel for profit. Listen, this is a big problem in our culture, just like it was a huge problem in Paul's day. And just like people didn't want to talk about it in Paul's day, we don't want to talk about it in our day. There are so many pastors getting so rich off the gospel. And it's wrong and it's evil, and I'll call it out. It's wrong. It's just wrong. Now, does that mean they're not going to heaven? No, I don't know their heart. I don't know if they're saved or not. The, Jude says that some of us are going to get in like on fire. He says, literally, you're snatched from the fire. Your rear end's burning as you go into heaven. That's how, like, I get it. And that may be me too. I, I don't know, but I'm just telling you. Paul says, look, there are a lot of people running around that are using the church to make a name for themselves. They're using the church to put themselves on a pedestal. They're using their name to make something of themselves. And they, I'm telling you, Paul's saying we purposely have not done that. In our church, all of our staff have worked other jobs so that we could put off the aroma of Christ, so that we could give 15% away to missions of every dollar that comes in. The only way that happens is if we have staff that say, you know what, I'm not going to take all of my income that I think I need from the church. We want to be giving. We want to support. We, it's not wrong to be paid by the church. Paul was paid by the church. I am now full-time at the church for the first time in 10 years as of May. It's not wrong. Paul says there's a season to be bivocational. There's a season to be employed. 
But you have to look at it in light of everything. And so often, Paul's saying, all these other guys are running around for profit. Look what he says. On the contrary, we speak with the sincerity in a Messiah, in Christ, as from God and before God. That, we have a sincerity that we want to be about. James says, if anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, then his religion is useless, and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. It's not about how big your ministry is. It's not about how, big, how much money you have, how great of a retirement fund you have. It's not about any of those things, Paul says. James says the same thing. It's not about those things. Pure, undefiled religion is about taking care of people no one else wants to take care of. And you know what? We don't flock to those churches. Because I don't want to be asked to do things I don't want to do. I want to be around cool people and the people I like. I don't want to have to like wrestle with like, ugh. Like when we planted our church, we planted in the Poor House Cafe downtown. And for the first six months, whenever we had service, it was all majority of homeless people would wander into our service for a free cup of coffee because they were waiting for the library to open and our service would be full of homeless people. And there's some crazy stuff that happened. One guy got undressed one day down in his underwear, put on black clothes and little crosses and a mask. I mean, we had some really crazy stuff happen. And never once did I think, man, I can't wait until we can get out of here and go out to the country and get us a nice building, get away from these wicked, evil people. They need the gospel, he says. Timothy says, support widows who are genuinely widows, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must learn to practice godliness towards their own family first and to repay their parents, for this pleases God. There's a lot of people claiming to be widows out there that aren't widows. They've been running from God, and now they're claiming widowhood so they could take advantage of the church. And Paul is telling Timothy, watch out for those kinds of people. And then there are the true widows, there are the true orphans that we should care for. 2 Corinthians goes on, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? In other words, are we trying to brag about how great we are? Look, we, don't, we give 15%, we do this, we do that. Paul says, no. Or do we need like some letter of recommendation to you? We're from you. He says, you ourselves are our letter written on our hearts, recognized and read by everyone. You're the fragrance. As you guys go out, it proves that God is working in you and in the body of Christ. It is clear that you are Christ's letter produced by us, not written in ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on stone tablets, but on tablets that are hearts of flesh. It's not about the law. It's about your heart being so soft to God that he can come in and change you. Paul goes on to say, we have this confidence, this kind of confidence towards God through Christ. In other words, I'm not coming confidently because I measure up. I'm coming confidently because I know that I need the fragrance of Christ all over me. I need his forgiveness. I need his aroma. And if I don't have it, I just stink. That's exactly what Paul says. He's like, I'm not trying to prove something here. I'm trying to see how great it is to allow Christ to take you through life, to surrender your life, to be faithful, available, real, teachable, and surrendered, and let him have it and let him do with it as he pleases. And then what he says, he says, it's not that we have, are competent in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our competence is from God. He's like, be careful, because what can happen is you get really confident and competent about what you're doing, and then you slip down the slope of pride. Be very careful. Be very, very careful. You don't do that, he says. Romans says this. As we wrap up, he says, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What was the sacrifice to do? The smell of blood. The smell of that burnt offering. Literally, when they were giving sacrifices, the wafting of the sacrifices that were offered, especially at the High Holy Days that we're getting ready to come up to, you ready for this? Would go to other nations. There would be a cloud of burnt meat flying to other nations that you would smell all around because this huge cloud of the thousands and thousands of animals being sacrificed for the sin and the disaster that God's people had made. Everyone would know, oh, those Jews are burning. They're cooking again. They would know it. And Paul says, offer yourself like that to God. 
so that others can smell. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Here he goes. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. In other words, you should think of Christ highly. And if you're in Christ, then you can think of yourself as highly in Christ. But don't think of yourself highly. And then he says... As God thinks sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, and all the parts don't smell the same. He goes on and says, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. I really don't like that, but it's still part of us. And then he goes on, Paul wraps up, and he says, He has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, not of all the rules and the sacrifices that God says eventually just stink to him because we just keep making more sacrifices to try to cover up all the rules we're breaking, and then it just smells terrible, and it's overwhelming, and the smell is like, ah, stop it, which is what he said in Isaiah. He's like, this stinks. You guys just, would you just obey me? And then I don't have to smell all of this all the time. It's overwhelming. He says, for the letter kills, but the spirit produces life. And next week, we're going to break that down. Galatians 5 says, the works of the flesh are obvious, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. Against, against such things, there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. And let us not be desirous, in the King James it says, let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Don't be envious of how somebody else smells or how they don't smell. Be envious of Christ, the aroma of Him. Offer the prayers that are the aroma to the saints. If this morning you have never surrendered your life to Christ, you have never said, you know what, I want to be a living sacrifice. I'm done. I surrender. Today's the day to do it. Because if you walk out of here and you still have that stench on you, I'm telling you, God is appalled by that. But he invites us to clean us up. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me. I'll give you rest. I'll wash you. I'll make you clean. And he offers that salvation because he paid the price so that we don't have to. He is the God of all comfort. And Jesus came to say, here is comfort. And then he asks us, once we come to know him, to do the same for others, to go out and tell them, hey, I'm laying my life down like Jesus laid down his life so that you might hear just like I heard. And that is our mission in the world till the day we die. And you are putting off a fragrance. And I pray this week the fragrance you put off in giving thanks and offering prayers and being in close proximity to God and his people that you give off the fragrance of the God of all comfort through the person of Jesus Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to walk through this letter. Lord, I thank you for the depth of meaning that we can find in your scripture. I thank you for the consistency of that you take these themes like the aroma and the incense and the sacrifices and the offerings and the smells and you, you take those themes all the way out from the beginning all the way to Revelation where you tell us and give us the picture of what it's going to be like someday to be in heaven and to have all of our senses on just high alert for your glory. That there's no more pain and suffering but just just love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control for eternity. But Lord, this morning there may be some here who are struggling. Maybe they're struggling to finally surrender their life to you because they've been playing the Christian game. They've, they've been coming and getting a little bit of the smell, but then it wears off when they go away because they really don't know you. Lord, I pray today would be the day that they surrender. They say, I'm done. I'm not going to play games anymore. And they finally take in the full breadth of all of their senses surrendered to you. And Lord, for those of us who are believers, I would pray that we would be reminded like Paul, that he was sent to Troas. There were some great things happening, but there might be a restlessness in us of, Lord, I pray that you give us your comfort. Lord, would you show us that you're the God of all comfort and that you have given us 
your presence. You've given us your word. You've given us one another. It doesn't mean that it goes away. It doesn't mean the struggle's not there, but it does mean that we can lean into you and we can lean into your people. And Lord, Paul had a hard time with some Christians. It was difficult for him at times, but he continued to lean in and he continued to be always excited to see the people that truly understood and surrendered their life. And I pray that would be our heart as well. So we thank you this morning in your name. Amen.